welcome to the Chicago Justice Show and podcast. Really appreciate you being here. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about what we do at the Chicago Justice Project at chicagojustice.org. And if you want to get involved in our work with our interns and volunteers doing crowdsource research projects and a bunch of other things, go to cjpnation.org. We'd love to have you involved. Okay, we're going to go jump in right into our first segment today. And it's a complicated one that in the end I don't understand why it happened. I want to know why it happened, but I don't necessarily understand it. Here's an article out of the Tribune. I'm sure everyone has heard about it. We can't arrest ourselves out of this, says Alderman Kappelman after uptown attack at known problem corner. Okay. So you know the, the headline for this for this show on Restreamer was was this a political stunt? What was he doing on the corner? We've um I don't understand what he was doing. Whether you're against it or for it, I don't understand what the purpose was. What he th- what the long-term strategy was to make so to make change on the corner. This is a problem corner. It's a corner known where people, where these men or several men um, drink alcohol and do drugs. And that's a problem for the community. It's affecting people walking by. There's all kinds of issues with it. The more alcohol and the more drugs you put in people, pretty much anyone, the less predictable they become. And as I said last show with the um, alcohol ban, that alcohol ban was put in place to reduce crime and violence. That's why it was put in place. And there is some science to back that up. That said, I don't understand what the outcome was. I don't understand. Like, he grabbed, he like cleans up after them when they, when they leave if he sees them and they're gone and they have garbage cans or things they're sitting on or whatever, he'll go and throw that stuff out. Is that going to dissuade them from going back there? No. I don't, I don't understand what he thinks he's doing there. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what the end game is for that. Is this going to make a difference? I don't think so. And that's where the question becomes... Is this a political stunt? Well, wait a minute. Well, if it doesn't have a long-term, if it's not tied to a long-term change in that problem at that problem corner, then what was the justification for doing it? Now, he, like all the other other forty-nine aldermen, are all politicians, right? So. There's always the worry on anything they do, anytime they open their mouth, that there's some kind of political benefit in it for them. I would say most of the time they open their mouths or do anything or don't do anything, it's for political gain. So you have to question that that motive in his actions here. I'm not saying it's 100% that way by any stretch. But you have to question if that's an issue. 
Now, whether or not, now, if it's tied to a political end, the fact that he may see the community likes him doing that, throwing that stuff out and being this, telling them, don't do this. Whether they like it or not, the question is, is it tied to an outcome? Now, remember, everyone, we've had people from Cahoots on this show, Ebony and Tim from Cahoots, from the Whiteboard Clinic in Eugene, Oregon. We're writing a report on that project and uh, crisis response around the country right now, the status of it. I don't really... All right, so James... Kappelman, 46 Alderman, isn't a social worker. But he's not, as far as I know, a trained crisis response worker. I, I think it's fair to say not a single crisis response worker that was trained would go there and throw out the table they were using while they were there. I think, I think they're pretty sure that would never happen. So, yes, he's a social worker, has a social worker background, but now he's a politician. I think some of what he's going to talk about, if and when he does, will be framing, and I think he's framed in the past, as doing more like kind of a crisis response, which is not what he's doing. No crisis response worker would go there and throw out the table. So I'm going to poo-poo that right off the bat. Okay, so let's look at some of this article. Um, it's a Tribune article. Now, everyone who has been the victim of violent crime, this is how the article opens, because we talked about how much BS the media is full of, and this is it. Not, anyone who has battled, not everyone who has been the victim of violent crime would immediately turn their attention to how to get the assailant help, but not everyone who's attacked has the same power to affect change as an alderman. Yeah, let's start out with his job as an alderman is to change policy, not intervene immediately in someone's life. That's not his job. His job really isn't to go into that pile of people that have been drinking and doing drugs and trying to do some tough love on them. That's not their job. And if the Tribune's endorsing it, they're fools. I'm not even kidding around. They're fools. It was incredibly dangerous, and in my opinion, probably kind of stupid. Because he talks about how they're always on that corner drinking and drugging. Well, what made it safe for you to go in there if you, they were always drinking and drugging and trying to throw their stuff out? I don't see the sense of that. Okay, so yes, he has the power to affect change, but not on an individual basis. He basically has almost no power on that level, really. He may think, he may talk about the way he does, but he really has nothing. What he does is have power to change policy. The question I would have for him, among others, is what have you done on policy in the city council during your time that would change the life circumstances of these people? Now remember, when he took over Uptown, it had, I think, the largest number of SRL single resident occupancy hotels almost like people on the very cusp of being homeless and all kinds of things related. And those services, SROs have been closing and there's all kinds of issues. So I'm not so sure he's done anything on policy. Has, has, let's put it this way. Has the city council passed anything in the last 10 or 20 years 
30 years, 40 years, but let's just say the last eight or so Kaplan's been in office, maybe he's been in office 12 now or something like that, maybe this is third term, what have they done to change these people's lives? I really can't think of anything. Maybe some window dressing, but really that's it. So the article continues. Alderman Kaplan, 46th, didn't suffer serious injuries when he was hit repeatedly with part of a broken table and put into a chokehold in Uptown Saturday night after he went to a problem corner to assess a report from a constituent about a disruptive group. Okay. Dude, you can, first of all, you tell that constituent to call the police. That's what they're there for. You're not the police and you're not crisis response. That's one thing for sure. Next. Number two, you get there, you assess, you call the police. You're not a crisis response worker. You're not a cop. What are you doing there? I don't know what, I don't know why this interaction happened. And I don't know why. Let me back up. With ever the more focus on the police department and this whole defund the, defund the police movement and crisis response, the idea is to get people who are not trained to handle situations like this very one to not be the people interdicting. If you stuck crisis response workers, if Chicago actually had a meaningful attempt at building crisis response in Chicago, which Chicago doesn't right now, if Cahoots was active in Chicago and, and someone in that, in that community called Cahoots on that, for that corner to kind of try to f resolve what was going on there and find a long-term solution, what they would not have done 100% is throw out that table. They would have been trained to not escalate the situation. That's why we, want, we don't want police with guns showing up to situations like this at times. It seems, and I, I want to talk to Alderman Kappelman. In fact, this is how much I want to talk to him. I emailed his office an uh, invitation for him to appear on this show, and I tweeted at him today to uh, get him on the show. For those in our podcast audience, the Tweet reads, at James Kappelman, we are very sorry to hear you have been a victim of violence. I would like to invite you to appear on our Chicago Justice Show, our Chicago Justice Podcast, to discuss the street intervention you are doing and what the goals are for those interventions. DM us or, DM us or email us at tsiskachicagojustice.org. We will see if we get a response. We have not received one yet. I have my doubts in whether we will hear one, but... These street interventions is something he's done commonly. And I want to hear his, because I don't know what the long-term solution, what does he think throwing out that table is going to do? I don't understand. Let's go back to the article real quick. We're going to see what we can do to get this guy help. But how do you help someone who is refusing to help, refusing help to address their addiction? I know it's just not arresting them because arrests don't always matter. When you're released from Cook County Jail, you go right back on the streets. Kaplan said, adding that the main police, the man that adding that the man police arrested has a criminal history. Hmm, shocking. Next, we can't arrest ourselves out of this. For most humans, for most living creatures, we respond to negative and positive reinforcement. It can't all be negative. 
but it all can't be positive. You have to find the right balance. And we know we found the right balance when it produces the intended results. For this guy, we've, got, we've not found that right balance. I think he's getting too many carrots and no sticks. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Here is Alderman Kaplan taking it upon himself to enforce a stick by taking their table. Was that going to change anything in the situation? Absolutely not. Useless. Utterly useless. We can all agree on that. Was it potentially, could it potentially lead to violence, that interaction? Yes, and it did. And honestly, I think the alderman, the alderperson, Kaplan here, is lucky it didn't result in more violence. And my question is, why risk the violence if only what you're doing is pure theater? Pure theater. You're going to show up, you're going to throw out their table, unless you're breaking it, they're just going to pluck the table out of the garbage. That's not going to make them move. They don't fear you. You have no authority to make them fear. What are you doing? I just, I just don't get it. And he hasn't been forced by the media to answer questions because, of course, the media is soft on this crapola. I'm sorry that it resulted in violence. I don't want there to be any violence. But I also want public officials, I can't even say that, screw the public officials. I don't want the police setting situations up to escalate situations where there isn't a need and then there's a resulting violence. Let alone aldermen who are sitting here playing like they're a cop. They're not. They're not. They're not. So, political stunt? It certainly is possible. Unless it's connected to some long-term strategy, it's an absolute political stunt. Now, hopefully Alderman Kaplan comes on the pod, comes on the show here, and answers questions. What is your long-term strategy there of throwing that out? Um, who knows? I just know... Um, from speaking to crisis workers like I have and interviewing the people from CAHOOTS and learning all about CAHOOTS and working with a group of people from our nation researching CAHOOTS and crisis response around the country, I don't think there's any crisis response workers that would have thrown out the table, would have made that move. But you're dealing, so if it's not tied to a response, it could very well have been just a massive, 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 massive political political stunt we'll see we'll see if he answers see if he responds um i have my doubts that he will okay next segment a, fr a friend a friend i would say someone i've written about on social media quite a bit so if you go over to chicagocontrarian.com and don't go it's alt-right but i'll bring you the stuff they talk about justice on so you don't have to go read it for yourself you will see an article titled Chicago Media Code of Silence Strikes Again, written by former FOP, Fraternal Order of Police spokesman. He was the spokesman up until, I think, John Catanzara's administration came in. I think he was in that position many years. Um, Martin Preeb. He's been dealing in conspiracy theories since forever. One of the largest groups of people um, in the country of America that believe in conspiracy theories everywhere are cops. 
And that is why there were so many police and prosecutors, and police and, and uh, military, because they're also conspiracy theorists, a mile from where I'm at. I'm in D.C. I'm in the um, Mount Vernon Square, Mount Vernon Triangle area of D.C. by the convention center. We're about a mile from the Capitol. Martin Preeb predates most of those conspiracy theorists. He thinks there's everything's a conspiracy. For Martin Preeb, just to give you a little insight into Martin Preeb, he thinks John Burge never tortured a single person. Not a single person. Not a single person. John Burge, who's had umpteen cases um, reversed in appellate courts in the state Supreme Court, and got found guilty in a criminal trial in the federal courts for lying during, in interrogatories, part of a, a federal lawsuit, lying that he never committed torture. And for that conviction, the judge had to find that he had, in fact, committed torture on some suspects. So him saying he never did it was, in fact, a lie. This is who Martin Preeb is. For those that are listening or watching, if you don't know who John Burge is, go to the Chicago Torture Archive at the Chicago Reader. I'm not a big fan of the Reader anymore, but John Conroy's work, one of the best, if not the best journalist in Chicago for a very, very, very long time. His, everything he wrote is archived there um, on Burge, and it's fascinating. So, Mr. Preeb. Here's another one. Um, no, no, not that one. Here we go. What I'm showing to our podcast audience is Martin Preeb, who wrote a book called Crooked City. That's his image on his Twitter account. He's blocked CJP on Twitter because he doesn't want any part of us on Twitter. Because why? Because Mr. Well, let me get to part of what he wrote. Let's start examining what he wrote. But just think about this when you're listening. Think that this is basically coming from the perspective of an insurrectionist, someone who stormed the Capitol. It was trying to hunt Pence and all them. This is the type of person who wrote this article, okay? Is a code of silence within Chicago media, particularly the Chicago Tribune, the reason why City Hall just gave 20 million to two men once convicted of murder in 1994? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The entire Chicago media for decades is involved in a massive left-wing conspiracy. Every single member. Every single one. And part of the reasons he's blocked us on Twitter is I used to ask him, do you know when the meetings are for new hires? When they hire new people, where's the indoctrination meeting? And then where's the cult meeting where they all get together and plan to be anti-police? It's a great, it's a cabal of Chicago media. And basically what this is, is Preeb and his ilk and you're seeing this with John Cotton and you're seeing it more and more and more and more cops in Chicago and around the country. They don't like being questioned. Now, see, Preeb in that first quote is talking about how City Hall just gave money to two people convicted in murder of 1994. Okay, but it wasn't a good conviction. It was wrong. But see, that's not possible for convictions he thinks is right. But if you look at John Burge and his conviction for lying and perjury, well, I think it was basically lying. I don't think they called it perjury. But in the interrogatory, that was a false conviction. So there are false convictions or wrongful convictions. They're only of cops. 
Supreme is fact challenge. So let's get on. He's, um, he's rhetoric without any facts. So you want to talk about anti-vax, anti-authoritarian, anti-science? This is the crew. This he's part of the crew, but he's dating back 30 years. So he, he, he was this way 20, 30, 40 years ago. Despite the sensational allegations, the city last week folded on the case and granted Seriano Montaz, two guys to, uh, abused and set up by uh, Gravetta, who we did an episode on last time, uh, gave them a $20 million pay, payday. How attorneys can go from making such allegations in front of court to a massive settlement two years later points in large part to a fundamental pattern and practice of the Chicago Tribune and its federal court reporter, Jason Meisner. Announcing that right. Okay. Yes, the city in the court papers ripped these two guys that they ended up giving $20 million to. That happens in every court case where there's a settlement. Every court case, there is fighting going on and disagreeing and all these allegations. And then at some point, the rubber meets the road and you have to be able to prove it. And if you can't and the other side can, you settle. Right? Excuse me. Let's get back to the article. Such admissions from reporters are nothing new in Chicago for the past 40 years. The Windy City media, led by the Tribune, has engaged in similar activism journalism, working tirelessly and often falsely to create a myth of corruption surrounding the police officer that frees killers through an utterly ludicrous process of bolstering the accusations against the police and remaining silent about counter allegations and evidence. Wander the halls of 26th in California, talking to prosecutors and many judges, and they will tell you quietly the claims against former direct, uh, detective Ronaldo Rivera and his fellow investigators are false. Now, ladies and gentlemen, is there a single fact in anything he said? Anything he wrote there? Spoiler alert, there's not. He's fact-challenged. He's got I-know-it's-all-symbol uh, syndrome. I know it's all a syndrome. Yep. So what we're talking about is a massive cover-up. Government is incompetent, but very competent when it comes to deep state cabals. The media is incompetent, but so incompetent they can get in this 40-year massive everyone-involved cabal to hate the police. Um, now, what I don't understand from these people like Preeb, who don't like the police questioned, we live in a democracy. They all hate the government. They all hate um, anti-gun things. They all hate. They hate the government. They hate politicians. They're the aren't. They're the the tip of the spear. The tip of the spear when it comes to government violence. They are it. Why don't they understand that? If they want everyone to distrust the government, then people should be questioning the cops because we distrust them. You're the government, except you have the guns and the license to kill. But you're a white guy. So to them, they must be ultimately trusted. A white conservative guy. White conservative straight guy, I'm going to bet. I have no idea of his sexuality, but I bet you it's straight. Last part of the article. Coughlin now knows, that's the judge uh, a judge involved in past cases, what it's like to be a Chicago cop. Nevertheless, with Coughlin removed from the bench, facing a lawsuit in the Serrano case, and now left isolated after being betrayed by the city that has settled in the Serrano case. All judges in Chicago who will stand up for accused police 
they believe are innocent, a powerful message has been sent and all officers are reminded once again, they are, they are fodder for a media machine at a war against the police. Hold on. We got a couple more. I mean, you got you to gotta give them credit for that one. It's all right there in, in the silence surrounding the federal courts, the beat of reporter Jason Meisner. Yeah, he's leading this deep state cabal against the police. You can't trust government. You can't trust politicians. But goddamn, you can trust the police. You can trust the police. Don't worry, we have the license to kill and we shoot unarmed people all the time. We've killed countless black people just in the last several years. Just trust us. This is how you understand how we get a January 6th insurrection. This is the kind of mentality. Nothing he said there was a fact. Except for, yes, the city attorneys ripped these two guys. And a couple years later, in court as they're fighting the case, they realize they're losing. And the rubber meets the road where they, all the depositions are done and they've got to bring in their evidence to court and they realize they don't have any. It's like this guy's two years old or something. He has, I know it allism. It's a common affliction, affects mostly fact challenge, science denier, conspiracy theorists, which Martin Preeb fits that to a T. He's a massive conspiracy theorist. Um, and he hates anyone that possibly questions the police. There are no wrongful convictions except for that when you convict a cop, it's a wrongful conviction. I would bet, although I don't know, so I don't know 100%, but I would bet he thinks the Jason Van Dyke case was not Jason Van Dyke murdering Laquan McDonald, but just doing his patriotic duty and how dare people question it. The whole thing is so sad, but they get hits, man. I'm sure they do. They have a lot of love. Second City Cop Blog is publishing in Chicago Contrarian also. So, and, and one thing that Trump uh, election proved or showed us, uncovered for us, um, was that um, there's a lot of people who think this way. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a couple quick announcements here. We will be back Friday at 530 Central. Then, next week, the show moves. We're moving it to the mornings. So it will be airing on Monday and Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central in Chicago. And then 12 p.m. lunchtime on Wednesdays. And we're trying to work out now and put the final preparations in for an interview with Cook County Public Defender. Oh, Sharon Mitchell. I'm sorry, I forgot his last name. And um, I am going to make sure before I do this, we are, in, yeah, Sharon Mitchell Jr. I am sorry, Cook County Public Defender Mitchell, but I just wanted to make sure I got it right. So we're in, in, um, we're in communication with Sharon. We're trying to work out the exact date uh, for to record. It may get recorded Monday, which means it'll be on Wednesday's show. We're also looking... Anyone wants to email Alderman Kaplan or retweet our tweet, go find it on our Twitter page. Um, and let's see if we can get Alderman Kaplan to talk about these uh, interventions he's doing on the street and what the long-term plan of it is and why um, it's not just exciting more violence than um, it's uh, correcting these uh, antisocial behaviors that he thinks are going on in his ward. Okay, thank you all, everyone. I will see you Friday at 5.30 Central. Have a great day rest of your evening.
Thank you.